Area 941. It's just another reason why people say, I heard it on KPFA. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who walk In light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of sight Oh is this the right mic? Have I got the right? Thank you, Erica. I saw the little light come on. This is Jennifer Stone. And uh, I'm such a creature of habit. If somebody changes my uh, my mic, I get all flustered. Uh, I think that has to do with being so old. Uh, today, today... I have a wonderful show. It's called Hell is Murky. It's the 21st of... Uh, March, and of course that means spring, spring has sprung, my friends. We should all be out dancing and having a wonderful, a wonderful time at the beach. But unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to talk about our man in the manhouse a little bit. Man in the madhouse, madhouse, it's a madhouse in Washington. Okay. Ha 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 ha. According to some of the best writers in the New York Review of Books, uh, Donald Trump yes, sees everywhere the other, everywhere the other threatens him. Check out the March 23 New York Review of Books, March 23, 2017. Mark Danner has a great Great piece here that I'm going to put in my files permanently. Maybe read it when the next election comes around and see how much of it has come true. Mark Denner writes up an article called What He Could Do. Now I will save this, put the date on it for uh, four years from now and see how much of it has Come to pass, yes, hell is murky. Uh, where does he use this wonderful word, murky? Uh huh. Anyway, yes, that was uh, Macbeth's line, you know. Uh, the beginning of this article by Mark Danner, there's a quote from Stephen K. Bannon. You know, Stephen K. Bannon. <laughs> the number two. Uh, SOB, he says, what we are witnessing now is the birth of a new political order. 
and the more frantic a handful of media elites become, the more powerful that new political order becomes. In other words, our hysterics, you know, are a direct reflection <laughs> of the effectiveness of this dude. Uh, anyway, let's see. Uh, there's a wonderful picture here of Donald Trump running. Yes, uh, it's strange, the caricatures of him. I, I have wondered, what is that white around his eyes? Never mind, I'll, I'll figure it out. Obviously, he's had some kind of treatments, you know. Uh, uh, he begins with a description of Trump on Inauguration Day, yes, and his hooting supporters on the lawn. Lock her up, lock her up. Aha, yes. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. He points out, it's kind of trivial, that uh, the rain began at the precise second that the newly sworn president opened his mouth to speak. It seemed to be a grim joke, he says, so obvious as to be in bad taste, bringing forth the inevitable clichés of an age of Trump ushered in by weeping skies. Uh, he says, I felt the water run down my face. All the umbrellas had been confiscated. Did you hear that? All the umbrellas had been confiscated. He goes on to say, And yet, it took only a few hours to learn I'd been mistaken. Here's what the new president said. You know, I looked at the rain. <laughs> This is what he told the black-tied attendees at the Liberty Hall that evening. I looked at the rain, which just never came, exclamation point, <laughs> by the next day. He was telling CIA employees that God looked down and he said, We're not going to let it rain on your speech. That's a quote from God. Yes. <laughs> Soon. Soon he was raving about the sunshine. Now it remains to be seen whether we are truly quote, witnessing, witnessing the birth of a new political order. That's Banner's line. Uh, Obviously, it is clear that a month into Trump's ascension, that we are all his prisoners, held fast in the projected drama of his mind. Tell me about it, right? <laughs> As the battle over that new political order is enacted on the national stage, we have all become the dragooned antagonists. In the play, I would call it his play. Uh, this is what it is to live in the realm of the big man. <clears throat> Capital letters, big man. His drama, perforce, is ours. Relentless political struggle, permanent revolution, Shattering of norms, scandal and controversy, the capital keep dip, deep, pardon me. Yes, it's hip, yes, uh, he's, talking about, he's talking about broken crockery. I see the capital, the capital of our nation is hip deep in broken crockery. 
That's quite a line. Anyway, this is what Trump supporters signed on for. And this is what he is determined to give them. Perhaps he knows how to give them little else. To him, they, that is his supporters, they are everything. His base, uh, he said, yes, uh, Trump said, this is a beautiful movement. They've never seen a movement like this in our country before. And of Trump's quotation, yes. Uh, anyway, they're his creation, permanent suppliers of the adulation and self-affirmation he craves. Now they cheer and hoot and scoff, while their hero, saber in hand, slashes and hacks at his enemies among the hated status quo. <laughs> the latter includes not just Stephen Bannon's handful of media elites, but many others who are appalled and outraged and find themselves forced to live under the pall of permanent political anxiety that hangs over the nation's cities. Now, it is our outrage, our disgust, our knee-jerk shock and condemnation that animate the play and give verisimilitude to the uh, battle being fought. We, yes, we are the enemy and our screams of dismay are vital to the drama. Anyway... Behind the controversies about, uh, well, about crowd size, you remember the, the empty seats, okay, and all the alternative facts and all the illegal voters and the Muslim bans, all the shock and alarm and political fatigue can be reduced to a dawning, horrified recognition that President Trump is indeed Donald Trump. Mm, his uttering a 35-word oath of office did not magically make him into someone else. He is determined to change the office, much more than the office could ever change him. Indeed, indeed, yes, he's not undergone a metamorphosis. I certainly noticed that. I never expected it, actually. Uh, I don't know why people did. Anyway, uh... Mark Tanner goes on to say, how could anyone have doubted that President Trump would be Donald Trump plus great power and not Donald Trump plus great restraint? Uh, and that he would be determined to use that newfound power to begin to do pretty much what he told his base he was going to do. Yes. Uh, a final irony uh, that his very determination to break the crockery and spread chaos and disruption. Uh, yes, it's the major obstacle standing between him and the new political order. Yes, indeed, indeed. Whose birth is Svengali Bannon claims he will oversee. Aha, yes. The necessity and continual disruption, the constant outrage, you know, maintaining an iron grip on that news cycle, right? The news cycle is his thing. And sheer, just sheer winning without ever retreating. Now, 
This means he has a grand proclivity for getting in his own way. Got it? Yes. Aha. Yes, in political parlance, this is called stepping on his own dick. I repeat, because it's funny, (laughs) the political parlance is that Donald Trump is, quote, stepping on his own dick, unquote. Now, we need, not for the first time, to let ourselves be grateful for that. Got it? Yes, we're grateful that he is such a what do you call that, a pugnacious uh, thug. I would call him a thug, yes. It has thus far proved to be the hated status quo's most important protection, not least because in very short order he has managed to produce a growing cadre of adversaries within the government itself. Yes, I was going to say, brought it home, brought it home. Uh, I suppose it's supposed to give us hope. Anyway, Mark Tanner goes on to say that most important, Trump's aggressive and reckless sallies against intelligence professionals have secured him powerful enemies within the national security apparatus. They have increasingly been making use of their contacts in the elite press, particularly the Washington Post and the New York Times, to fight back, uh, to undermine this new administration, his new administration. This is an important part of the so-called Russia scandal. You know that the intelligence services... (laughs) seem to be at war with the new president. Uh, That quote, seem to be at war, comes from Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy. Uh, Okay, that war has already claimed a high-level casualty in the person of uh, General, well, he was retired General, Michael Flynn, the president's first national security advisor, who was fired after only 24 days in the job. Now, although Trump has railed against illegal leaks, that's a quote from Trump, illegal leaks, whatever the hell that means, <laughs> and declared that Flynn, quote, was treated very unfairly by the media. This side of the story, the bureaucratic war being waged against Trump from within, within the government, by its nature, cannot be adequately told in the press itself because reporters, however much they they resist acknowledging it, uh, in effect, are vital players. They're part of the game, part of the drama, folks. This storyline is obscured, one might say, by the storyteller's own shadows. Anyway... Four weeks of the Trump ascendancy have been an ongoing seminar on where norms end and laws begin. On how much of what we have relied on when it came to the president's conduct rested largely on a heretofore unquestioned foundation 
of centuries-old custom, tradition. <laughs> it's traditional to be Democrats. Yes, I have all these pages. I brought all these pages from, oh gosh, Thomas Jefferson, John Stuart Mill, you know, all those enlightened thinkers of the 18th and later 19th century, you know, the things that we built this country on. Anyway, uh, customs, yes, customs. And that this president would express respect for the prerogatives of Congress and the judiciary, that he would acknowledge the country's need for an independent press, that he would generally tell the truth and hold in respect the public record. In little more than the time it took to recite the oath of office, much of this has been swept away. Ah, Gone, gone, gone. Okay, Donald Trump is a proud shatterer of these norms, writes Mark Donahue, yes, he says. Uh, He says, yes, Mark Danner, pardon me. Uh, I seem to be... I seem to be having a cough today. Anyway, uh, yes, Mark Danner, he says, he says that Trump is a proud shatterer of these norms and that the louder the crash and splatter, the better, for to his supporters, such norms are nostrums, just antiquated excuses for the elite's own self-protection and that the wails of outrage and protest mean their hero is doing what they sent him to Washington to do. Well, the norms are gone. Perhaps never to be fully restored, I will repeat. The norms are gone. Perhaps never to be fully restored. And we have advanced now to the laws. The dividing line is surprisingly murky. There's my word. That's my favorite word, murky. Hell is murky. (laughs) That the president would not use his office to promote his personal business, for example, depends not only on the so-called emoluments clause of the Constitution, but a good many subsidiary norms that Trump began shattering some time ago. You remember, but he refused to release his tax returns during the campaign. His long-standing vow to release them once an audit was completed has been quietly abandoned. Haven't heard nothing about that. Okay. It seems plain now that in the near term, the emoluments clause has in common with these norms that it requires political animation that it has uh, life only to the degree that those in power are willing to enliven it and thus far Republicans in Congress still stunned to find themselves enjoying an undreamed of monopoly on power and struggling to craft a workable political program not based solely <laughs> on resentment have shown themselves uninterested 
in pressing Trump on his business entanglements. They seem willing to stand by and let the president uh, or the presidency become a source of great wealth. For the Trump family, thus do sacred cows perish, 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 not with a bellow, but with a whimper. I wouldn't say it's a whimper. Uh, when I went to school, this is me talking again. When I went to school, I was taught that, uh, <laughs> that capitalism, capitalism plus murder equals fascism. Yes, indeed. When the government and all the business interests, the capitalism and uh, democracy, so-called democracy, once they have, um, what is the word, what is the word, once they've become the same thing, then we've got fascism. Check out Mussolini. Yes, uh, you know, it's, it's his shop. It's his store. Anyway. Mark Danner goes on to say, ours is famously said to be a government of laws, not of men. And yet we find in the age of Trump that the laws depend on men and women willing to step forward and press them and that such are not to be found in a dominant party in Congress. Republicans, Republicans are too divided, as always, as always. It's funny, I don't know why, uh, it's so strange. Anyway, they are divided, uh, they are divided, uh, and they're focused on the main chance. Yes, they're all looking out for number one. Uh, I didn't understand what, what those guys talk about, you know, when they, Sit down over drinks. Anyway, uh, they uh, keep talking about abstract principles. Uh, and that's in an age when their party cannot muster a national popular vote majority. Uh, what, what, what are they thinking? They find themselves unaccountable. Uh, let's see. Uh, I can't figure out. It seems that the Republicans now have the full possession of Two branches of the government. That seems to confuse them. And I guess their next task is to uh, master their divisions within those two branches of the government and pass a political program that won't further doom them to the wilderness. That is, uh, you know, that they can keep the power they've got. Uh, this means adopting policies of opposition designed to cultivate and harvest resentment such as, uh, you know, repealing Obamacare, which provides health insurance to more than 20 million Americans, while somehow shaping them into a positive program that they can present to constituents as having improved their lives. <laughs> That'll be a neat trick. It is a daunting task, and thus far they show few signs of being up to it. Obviously, what they got to do now, of course, is uh, uh, conquer the the third branch of government, the judiciary. And I have always thought of the press, the free press, uh, as what do we call not just the sort of the 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 um, the fourth estate, we used to call it the fourth estate, or another branch of government, that in public opinion, but uh, 
the laws, the laws are definitely restricted to the three branches. Anyway, uh, President Trump is untroubled by norms. He's uh, required only two weeks to come face to face with laws in the form not of Congress, but of three judges of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal. Right, once again, banning Muslims, yes. Now, that's what he promised his base he would do, okay? That the executive order itself was a legal mess in its drafting and in its execution, uh, stemmed both from the modus operandi that the Trump team has adopted, policies closely held, drafts jealously sheltered from the eyes of those even in the departments or agencies responsible for carrying them out. <laughs> I think of Nick Cheney after the, uh, uh, you know, the post-September 11th playbook. Uh, you know, we're going to save you, but we're not going to tell you how we're going to do it. Uh, anyway. Oh, dear, I've taken almost my whole show yammering about Mark Danner's article in the New York Review of Books, and I have seven other pieces here. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a terrific one on how Megyn Kelly won um, her battle with Trump. She's on NBC now, if you're the least bit interested. Uh, okay, so many things here. I will try to synthesize them, at least by next Tuesday. You remember Trump saying... Uh, that during the campaign, that if he lost the election, quote, we won't even have a country anymore. <laughs> okay, boys and girls, uh, what is it here? One might call his tactics shock and opportunity. Uh, anyway, the judiciary is his next, his next uh, battle, I guess. Uh, I think that's not just funny, it's terrifying. Uh, never mind. The Megyn Kelly article can be found in the same issue of the New York Review of Books. Uh, I shudder when I realize that the women who seem to make it uh, to the top uh, seem to be right-wingers. I guess, I guess that was inevitable. It's too much to hope that a Democratic woman would be the boss of it. Um, Megyn Kelly's uh, well, I think I'll save it for next week. She obviously is not a scholar. She hasn't got it. She hasn't got it straight. Uh, <laughs> she seems to think that female genital mutilation was invented by the prophet. She's wrong about that. Uh, let's see what it says here. Uh, yes, her stupidest. Uh, let's see here. Sexual harassment, you know, she she used that. Um, actually, this article seems to think that she used Fox more than uh, they used her. That's okay. She did pretend to be, you know, like Captain Renault in uh, Casablanca, saying she was shocked, shocked to discover that there was sexual harassment going on in Fox. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, this foolish woman, what is it she says here? Uh, she says that female genital mutilation is mandated by the Islamic faith. Wrong! Wrong, Megan. Uh, the 
mutilation of women uh, dates back at least two millennium. The uh, prophet only arrived on the scene fairly recently. Uh, let's see. Herodotus back in ancient Greece, 600 years before the birth of Christ. He mentions this tedious practice. It's a practice uh, having to do with property. You know, like your cattle, you have to get them you know, castrated so they'll behave. Anyway, i got to send her a book on the history of female genital mutilation. Ah, dear, uh, she's into non-feminism. I'm sure she can make that work for her. Works for a lot of others. There's an event coming soon about the new anti-feminism. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone struggling to make sense of the murky mess we seem to be in. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere. Till next week at the same time. Go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Our winter fun drive is over. Thank you for your generous support. If you're a KPFA listener that intended to pledge, please take a moment and go to our website at kpfa.org and donate today. Become a member of our community. Your donation ignites the engine and enables us to continue executing our historic mission of speaking truth to power. If you're searching for the truth, facts, and unfiltered news and in-depth analysis, help us stay as vigilant as always by supporting KPFA today. Greetings, feminists, women and men both. The founder of Bitch Magazine is calling you out. In her bold new book, We Were Feminists Once, Andy Zeisler is arguing that pop culture has co-opted the feminist movement. Andy joins poet and activist Aya de Leon in a free-form discussion hosted by Sabrina Jacobs. This KPFA benefit happens Wednesday, March 29th, 7.30 p.m. at the Hillside Club, 2286 Cedar Street in Berkeley. Tickets at brown.